Hey everyone, it's Sonia here with Fresh Approach Wellness. Thank you so much for joining me today. You will notice that we have another special guest with us and, and that means it's a heart to heart and the heart to heart means you can find the video components on Facebook where you can see us laughing and having fun and just bantering back and forth as we each enjoy some coffee on this Wednesday afternoon in March. So this is episode 164, and I'd love to welcome Joe. Joe, take a minute and introduce yourself, please. Hi, Sonia. Yeah, I'm Joe Partavila. I'm a podcaster and author uh, my whole life in the New York City area, but currently living in Charleston, South Carolina right now. Okay, so what brought you from New York to South Carolina? Let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm an old school. I don't know if you remember. There's this. There was this device called the radio. It was in your car, <laughs> and you would listen to it, and it would play music and news and all that stuff. So I worked for a radio station in New York called 95.5 PLJ, a station that's been there for for almost 50 years. Although I should say it's been there. It was there. Uh, the reason I ended up going from New York to Charleston was that in 2019, the company that owned the conglomerate that owned our radio station was not doing well financially. And so the only way they could do better financially is if they sold their radio stations. So one of them was ours, and they sold it to a Christian broadcasting company called EMF, which sounds like EMF. Oh, Education Media Foundation. It's basically a Christian pop music station. Um, so essentially I was fired by Jesus. I had gotten, uh, had a great career in radio, New York city. And then one day Jesus came to town and said, bye-bye all you people. And so I took that and transitioned into a career working in, uh, Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina with a company called advantage Forbes books, a hybrid publisher that, uh, writes books for entrepreneurs, CEOs, business people. And, uh, three years ago, they brought podcasting to one of their verticals as a as a way to uh build authority for their authors and uh, that's what where I came in and am sitting currently 3 years later so change all of this turned about because of change yeah yeah so that's a lot of growth that happened between those two periods what mm. are some of the biggest takeaways for you yeah i mean one of the things was i was so when i was at that radio station I ended up there sort of by happenstance. I was going to college and I knew I wanted to be in media. I was just a kid who just loved pop culture and TV and radio. And so I was going to school and I just had the wherewithal to like apply for internships for radio stations in New York. So I was I grew up in the, the New Jersey suburbs, about 15 miles from Midtown Manhattan. And I decided to apply for this radio station internship for one reason only. It was located at two Pennsylvania Plaza, which means nothing for anyone outside of, of New York. But for New Yorkers, no, it is basically the building above Penn Station. So as a scared little kid from New Jersey, I was like, oh, my God, this big, bad New York City. What am I going to do? I don't even know how to take the subway. I'm just a rube in the woods, even though I grew up like in the shadow of it. It was just intimidating to me. But PLJ was one train station stop away from where I lived in New Jersey. So I ended up taking up this internship there and spend the next 24 years of my life there because I was just a scared little kid. Uh, started as a promotion intern, worked my way up through the company to eventually becoming the executive producer and co-host of the morning show there. And it was just an amazing ride. And I just learned so much. I just grew as a human being. But, you know, after you do something for so long, you kind of become set in your ways. And after you've been doing it for so long, you're like, will this ever end? Does it end? For someone like me, I was like, where can I go but here? You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like I've topped out and I was still barely in my, you know, 40s. So this this opportunity came along where I was like, man, I don't know if I could do the daily grind of being a morning show person anymore. If I do, it'd have to be outside of the New York City area. And there were just fewer opportunities without getting into the rigmarole about the landscape of terrestrial radio, there just aren't many opportunities in other markets across the country. It's just, it's one of the sad sort of realities of it. Uh, but during my time in radio, I just sort of started dabbling in podcasting, hosted a podcast uh, called The Science of Sex, where I kind of learned sort of the differences in the way terrestrial radio and podcasting is different. A lot of the skill sets, very similar, but the delivery method and the way you communicate there's a little more nuance to it. 
So luckily I had that in my back pocket along with all the skills that I had in terms of editing and producing and writing and made this transition into podcasting full-time and helping people become podcasts. Because my main goal at, at my job is to take these folks who've never been behind a microphone to be on a microphone. I've produced and prepared people for podcasting who never even listened to a podcast and now they're podcasting. So in terms of transition, it's really just the just evolving from what I was doing in a, a, on a daily basis to what I do now. So it's really just more of an evolution of who I am. Well, and, and that being said, there were some couple of key points that I want to reiterate and expand on for our audience because, mm. you know, you are literally the third male guest that we've had on this show. And it's not that it's exclusive to women, but we all know sometimes when somebody's listening to a podcast, they're not always in their headphones. Sometimes mm. you're in a car, sometimes you're in a public space and and you catch you catch a glimpse of it. You, you hear it or you see it or you get wind of it somehow. And men lean in, women lean in. It doesn't matter who is delivering the message. What what I want you to take away so far today is, you know, there were a couple of key points that Joe mentioned already. You know, the scared little kid. We've all been there. We, we've all been that scared little kid. And it doesn't have to be parallel to Joe's story, but it's that fear of taking that first step or of change, changing course on you and directions. And you didn't see it coming, or maybe you manifested it and forgot and got so busy playing that it came true sooner than you've ever, sooner than you expected, bigger and brighter than you ever expected. But it almost seems like, wow. But mm. here, here's here's the magic that I want to talk about. As part of that transition transition from where you were to where you are now, it started off with a scared little kid, not knowing which way to go, what what to do. And and again, we've all been there. Even if even if the only visual you can have is if when you're in high school and you're trying to pick your courses, like mm. really, <laughs> every scared little kid should be thinking of having to make a decision of what they want to be when they grow up, when they're a teenager, not even mm. a quarter of their life lived and they're set, they're expected to set that expectation in society. Right. Or maybe pick their life partner wrong, like wrong or, or their one and only career path wrong. So I'm only saying wrong because it's not a transaction that starts here and you jump and it lands here. Mm. This is a whole bunch of baby steps. And some of those baby steps are lateral. Some of them are vertical. Some of them are forward. Some of them are backwards. Some of them have their own pattern of their own. So share with, with us. And before I go there, baby steps done day in and day out with the intention of making an improvement towards that life that you're trying to live. You might not even realize what it is or what you're doing. Hmm. Um, but you just keep on taking the action and suddenly... One day, something changes. Yeah. So tell us about some of the baby steps, if you can remember in any area yeah. of your life where you had to start as being that scared little kid and how you transitioned from there. Yeah. It reminds me of when I first started working with the morning show. Um, my first job they brought me in to do was, um, so we had these really, at the time, high-tech radio studios. They're not anymore. Uh, but they all had like a series of buttons that needed to be pushed before the show started. And for some reason, I just maybe was too scared or was overthinking things. I would always screw it up. I would get the wrong button wrong. I would, I would, I would forget to punch one thing in and then all of a sudden there'd be dead air on the air and people start yelling and screaming and, it, and I kept doing it over and over again. But one day I sort of had that risky business moment, you know, in the movie risky business where they say, sometimes you just got, you got to say F it. Yeah. I just, I had that moment where I was like, F it. Like if I can't do this, I'm not meant to be here. And all of it went away. It's, and I, I know it seems very simple the way I did it, but it was very stressful. And just coming to that decision was hard. And, you know, trying to tell the story now makes it seem like, Oh, this guy just flipped a switch and he's fine. He's like, no, I had to get there. To, to that moment where I said, F it, I just, I just got to do this. And from that moment on, it sort of just snowballed and, and I just got better at it and became more comfortable. So that's one of those initial ones that I'll never forget like that. I have to F it moment because I think we all have to do that because we, we all get in our own head. We all overanalyze things. I still do it. 
But every once in a while, that kid who's making the mistakes, pushing the wrong buttons, just eventually has to just say either F it or someone's going to say, get the F out. Mm -hmm. And I was I was able to make that move on my own without having kind of any kind of exterior pressures, any more exterior pressures put upon me that I was already putting on myself. So I think that was super important. Another one is self-awareness. And I write about this in my book. I talk about it a lot because I feel like we as humans have a self-awareness problem. We are so unself-aware of people around us and communities and and just like people that are different from us. And one of the ways I started to become more self-aware was I was the the morning show I was working on, I would we were on from six to ten in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. So I would have to wake up around three o'clock every day, prepare for the show, drive into the work, because there was no public transportation at the time I was going to the office driving to work, I would park my car, walk across the street into the building and go do my job. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my office is in Midtown Manhattan. It's two Pennsylvania Plaza. It's above Madison Square Garden, one of the most famous arenas on the planet. It's two blocks away from the Empire State Building. And one day I was walking to work at as I was doing every single day for um, for decades. And I just stopped in the middle of the street. And this was like four o'clock in the morning. And I looked up at the building all lit up and I could see in the distance, the Empire State Building. I was like, this is so cool. Like, why didn't I ever just stop and look and appreciate this? Because again, we get so far in our own heads. We just want to get to work, get the job done and go home. And that was sort of my, you know, speaking of evolution, my evolution into just becoming more self-aware of like, Man, appreciate those little things, those moments, the, the stuff in your life that we all take for granted. And that just was part of the steps that I took to becoming more self-aware. Just like stop, take a minute and just see what's around you as opposed to putting those AirPods in, walking a mile a minute, not keeping, you know, not looking up. And as anyone who's listening is from New York, the last thing you ever want to do is look up. Like everyone's always looking <laughs> down in New York. Um, so if you are in an area where you sometimes forget to look up, you know, just do just do that as a as a a joke or just just shits and giggles. Just one day, just be like wherever you are that you normally are for every day of your life. Just stop what you're doing and just look up and look around your surroundings and become more self-aware and and sort of bask in sort of the joy and and, and all the good things that you have in life. I couldn't agree more. And you know, those mindful moments, I, I like how you called them like appreciation and awareness. And so I'm doing some cross training right now for some running events that I'm doing, which means I'm on the spin bike a little bit more because mm. I too, I'm in Eastern standard time, but in Canada, it is still kind of cold. <laughs> mm. So, and the older I get, the less I care for winter honestly yeah so anyway um i'm cross training with the spin bike and the lady i'm following her name's spin junkie like that's what she goes by on youtube she has an amazing quote that completely corresponds to what you're saying and don't look down you're not going that way hmm. right I love that. and it's not just in new york it's more often than not when you're walking around people are looking down they don't look out. They don't look up. They don't stop and admire. They are literally looking down. And I notice this when I'm out running in the mornings. I notice this when I'm taking the dogs for a walk. You're lucky because those times of the day and the people that you're connecting with are normally like-minded. So the majority of them will say hello mm -hmm. and greet you. And it's a beautiful way to start your day. But more often than not, you're right. They have their earbuds in. They don't do small talk. And they absolutely don't even look where they're going and so how much of this life are they missing mm. yeah. right like the effort component is huge because the people that are looking down are the people that are overthinking they're not mm. appreciating they're not in gratitude they're not in the present simple if they were they would they would see the butterflies and they would notice the numerology and the colors and the energies that are surrounding them or even the messages, right? But the people that are looking down are stuck in anxiety or depression. They're either worried about perfecting something that they've done 
in the past and that they wish they could have done it better or change the conversation or what have you, or worrying about what's coming up in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's the epic component because it doesn't matter what you're trying to manifest. If you can put that thought out there and spend that time into fun and joyful activities, whatever they may be. And that is noticing the beauty that's right in front of you. That's the easiest way is to tap into gratitude. The stars. Mm. Yeah. In New and York. doing that also sort of opens you up because it's almost like it's like that quote, you know, look, don't look down, look up because it's like, if you look up and you open yourself up to people, like, I'm a, I'm a, connection creature like i'm one, i'm the obnoxious person who says hi to strangers while i'm walking my dog like that's just the way i am and, and i don't know everyone's like that but i feel like sometimes people use an introverted nature as an excuse to like hey listen i i'm introverted i can't i'm not going to be the type a personality but i always say introverted people are the best communicators because they're more likely to listen than to talk because a lot a lot of days oh you know the problem with people communicating and having conversations is they're really more worried about having to hear their own voice and hear the other person. So if you open yourself up and you let people in and, you know, obviously this goes without saying, if you've, if you have, if you lived in a toxic culture or you've had a rough life, I get, it's not easy. I'm, I'm lucky. I'm very fortunate that I had a great upbringing and I have, a. am very fortunate to what I have in my life today. But if you open up and give yourself the opportunity to connect with people, listen to what they're saying. You don't have to be the funniest person, the wittiest person, the loudest person in the room. But as long as you're willing to give people the opportunity to tell their story, share who they are, then that's how you can create connections without you having to be super clever or funny or outgoing. Just listen. And what we've been talking about, stay present, be aware. That's what people want. People want to be surrounded by people like that. Well, Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. And, and I would love to challenge the audio and the um, visual listeners to go back to the very beginning and listen to the difference of Joe's passion. So when you're listening to somebody with intent and curiosity, you're able to probe them to talk about what's really important to them. So we started talking generally, but did you hear his passion when he just started talking about using your voice and communicating? It was huge. And why that is so important is, again, it didn't start there. You can take baby steps every single day to get to the point where you're comfortable. But what a difference it makes. You mm. glow from the inside. You can naturally attract other people to share their bright light because they're safe around you. And mm. why they're safe around you is because your energy is putting that out there. Because you you go from looking at the ground to looking them in the eye. You go from having your shoulders hunched over to having your shoulders back and your chest up. Mm. And then next thing you know, you're saying hi to everybody. So I want you to really go back and and notice the difference in the energy level. When you tap into somebody and their energy shows up, they are trusting you with it. And that is confidence. That is a different level altogether. Now you can continue to get them to talk about things that they're completely passionate about. And that's going to light you up more and more and more. And yeah. 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 We're, we're, we are, you know, we are, we, I think all have a hunger for that. Like we all want to be surrounded people, but sometimes it's hard and I know life is hard, but if you will not get to that point, if you don't open yourself up, like, cause you never will. Like if you don't open, you'll never meet those people. You'll be more likely to run into like the energy suckers or, you know, I'm sure there's all sorts of psychological terms for people like that, but people that bring you down, it's going to happen. But if you're more likely to be open, you're going to open yourself to people like you who want to learn about you, learn new ideas, not have to be in the same tribe to understand what they're thinking. It's just it's and and it's something that's it's easier for some, harder for others. And I totally get that. But I think as long as you make the effort and I think that's when it comes to, you know, there's a lot to be said about self-improvement. But I think if you just give an effort in anything you do, whether it's personal improvement, uh, mental improvement, physical improvement. If you make that effort, it it shines a light on you that sort of beams to other people. Yeah, your vibrations shift altogether. Your vibrations shift altogether um, mm. when you start doing that because you go from being afraid. You go from having the idea. So you go from not having the time because all you're doing is working so hard and putting meat on the table and food on the table and clothes and a roof over your head. So you go from that scarcity mindset to the creative. You start thinking about things that bring you joy. 
And then you take action in those areas that bring you joy. And they can be anything from conversations to colors to things that you're doing to books that you're reading. It doesn't have to be integrating the exact same way. And this is how change happens. So change happens in that creative space. And for those that are familiar, this is your root, your um, sacral chakra. And um, then your confidence lifts. The more creative you are, the more your confidence lifts. And now you're heading into your solar plexus. So, Joe, we talked about baby steps. We talked about change. But share with us how being open to a growth mindset has enabled you to go through those transitions and those baby steps and those transitions of change. Yeah, I mean, I will say my career is is so intertwined with my personal life. So when I was working in radio, even though I was on from six to 10, it was essentially a 24 seven job because all I was doing was living my life, but also trying to think of content that would fit the radio show. And so when you have that mindset, and obviously not everyone's going to be working on a radio show, but if you have the mindset of curiosity and wanting to learn and be open to things, and I did it, I, and I think I was like that before I started the job, so it helped, but just the the job sort of just blew that out to just, I'm just curious about everything. I just want to know What's going on in the world? I mean, nothing changed my life more than Twitter. And even though people say Twitter's accessible, I always say Twitter's are like Twitter is basically what you make of it. You know, if you follow horrible people, you're going to think Twitter's horrible. But I don't do that. I follow people that I enjoy uh, following news that I want to keep on on top of. I'm a football and, and baseball fan, so I'll follow those things. But I'm a movie fan, so I'll follow movie things. But that just all comes back to the fact, like, I'm just curious. I want to know what's happening in the world. And when I was a kid, Gen Xer growing up, the only way you could do that was with books and newspapers and then maybe like an entertainment show that was on at 7 p.m. Oh, 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 I got one for you. My dad made me read encyclopedias to get oh. the answers. Did you remember these encyclopedias? Absolutely. You yeah, because it wasn't Google the answer. It was look it up in the encyclopedia all the time. Like, I yeah. can't even tell you if you knew the answer or if that was just his default safety yeah. um, response. Yeah. yeah, no, me and my brother were the nerds, the little kid that you would see in a movie reading the newspaper. Like that was me and my brother as like 10 years old because we wanted to see what the Mets did the night before, you know, a recap of the Jets game. So I just always had that. And I think having that sort of curiosity streak about me sort of fueled my career and sort of fueled what I do today because, and I know you've probably discussed this a lot uh, on your show is imposter syndrome. So when I went from working in radio where I was interviewing singers, actors, entertainers, people in the news, to then now where I work today where I'm interviewing CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business people, I had this imposter syndrome come over and be like, what the hell am I going to say to someone who started a SaaS company? What's a SaaS company? You know, uh, software as a, as a service. As a service. Yes, uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but just in case anyone know, because I didn't know what it was. And so and it's was... actually been around a lot longer than SaaS. Just so you yeah, know. Oh, I'm sure of it. My first corporate job selling software and hardware and Microsoft licenses when I was in my 20s, literally when it came out, was yeah. SaaS at the time. Right. But it wasn't labeled SaaS. Right. So here's how growth is. Here's how change is different. But yeah. if I were to write SaaS. 30 years on my resume, they'd think I'm full of shit. <laughs> I was doing That's it funny. before SAS was cool, but yeah. 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 No, people love their acronyms now. So yeah, oh. absolutely. Um, so I was going through that, you know, so-called imposter syndrome. Like, what am I going to say to these people? I don't know. I don't have an MBA. I didn't go to business school. I wasn't one of these people that read the wall street journal. Like I had a working knowledge of business. You know, I knew about Bill Gates and I knew about Steve Jobs, but I didn't know about everyone else. And as I started doing it, I realized immediately, like almost immediately, I'm like, it's all the same shit. I apologize for using that word, but no, it's, it's all okay. the same shit. It's yeah. people who want to tell their story. So if you're someone like me, whose main job is to get people to tell their story, I just have to be the avatar for whoever's listening. I'm there asking the questions that whoever's listening right now would ask. So it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be an expert in these things, but being curious about this person and what they do 
it was all the same. I did, I was doing exactly the same thing. And I was doing the same kind of preparation and being prepared and writing questions and thinking of things in advance, preparing myself to be excellent in, at that moment. And at the end of the day, I realized it's all the same shit. It's just people. It's all it, people. Okay. And how many other times in our life? So again, imposter syndrome has been around the last five years, maybe. And and for those that are catching this sometime, this yeah. episode is being recorded March 22nd, 2023. It's going to be aired about six to eight weeks down the road. So what we're talking June, July, if you can believe that, I think well, I'm just summer. Th throwing it out there. Summer. Yeah. <laughs> it's talking to a Leo baby here. I can hardly wait. <laughs> I, I am the older I get and I'm, I'll be 50 in July. So the older I get more painful, <laughs> emotionally, physically, and draining that winter is that mm. I'm starting to appreciate why people go away i just miss the sun so much um but anyways that's a sidebar complete sidebar yeah. what i'm getting at here is imposter syndrome has been around a lot longer than five years mm. again you had mentioned this and, and this is the way this is the results guys of me being intuitive with these interviews joe had no idea what we were talking about i had no idea what we were talking about it started off as the introduction led to me being curious and asking a few questions. And now we're about to talk about imposter syndrome from a holistic perspective. And, mm. and I want you to go back, pretend you were born in the 70s. So I'm born in 73. Joel 74. 74. Okay. So think of our, our tools at the time. And that was TV, probably started off in black and white and then color. Mm. Okay. We watched what our parents watch or cartoons. There wasn't a lot much more than that. Those were the mm -hmm. two extremes. And yep. maybe what our grandparents watch if we were homesick and we had to watch Wheel of Fortune. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or you should also mention that TV only had four channels. Right. Uh, <laughs> and they, and rabbit ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you got you got the TV. And then alternative to that, you actually had magazines. Mm -hmm. Teen magazine, Vogue magazines, the the handsome or gorgeous um TV stars in the teenage magazines that we got to, to see. But that was where imposter syndrome started because this was the only information that we were able to see. This was the only information we were able to hear, like through the music and through the lyrics, Tiffany, things like that. Tiffany, like I can't believe Tiffany, but that's a sidebar song. Right. Actually, I'm going to go there for two seconds because I know we're in a culture where everybody's going to get this, where we're families are intermingled. Hmm. Right. So the song Tiffany, I think we're alone now. Alone now. Says, mm -hmm. There doesn't seem to be anyone around. around. Yeah. So I sang this to my husband the other day. I'm like, can you believe this? I feel like this is our theme song. Let's go. We got five minutes. Like we got a 31-year-old and a 21-year-old and we never have time wow. alone. Like just living in the house. We have five between us. Um, But the point is, our influences were these people. Radio, music um the same people that we are buying in billboard or in tabloids magazines and this is where imposter syndrome started for most of us because this is the standards we need to look like cameron diaz at that age or tiffany amber or the whole cast of 90210 or mm. or or these were there was no in between because there were fewer choices mm -hmm. Right. So if we didn't match that perfection and then we've got some super amazing people like Christy Brinkley, for instance, who does not look her age whatsoever. Right. So now she's setting that incredible heart bar high for imposter syndrome for a lot of people, too. And imposter syndrome boils down to feeling like you're not good enough. Hmm. And this isn't on you for the most part. This is on society for the most part yeah. by trying to raise us in a culture, in an environment where we're all the same. So I how, will say to addendum to that, I spoke to Tony Robbins once about this, and he thinks imposter syndrome is bullshit. He thinks imposter syndrome is basically another word for fear. It's mm -hmm. and and it, it really, I mean, it. I think there is a case to, to be said about imposter syndrome, but in essence, r really, it's it's all about fear. It's That's all, all it just is. about being scared. Yeah. yeah, because we're not taught. We're not because we're not taught because we're not. The path isn't paved for us. Because we have to have the courage to be curious, to take those baby steps every day if we want change. It's so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's the fear. Yeah. Right? It's not what anybody else has done before for the majority of us. 
in so many different ways, whether it's stepping out as an entrepreneur, whether it's following your bliss as in a job, whether it's going from entrepreneurism to a job, you're getting judged from these different areas, whether you're being married to divorce, there's, which with the judgment, with judgment comes higher level of imposter syndrome. Hmm. Did you take it personally? Yeah, absolutely. And also we fall into the comparison trap. Like, yes. Wh- why does that person have this and I don't? Or wh- wh- why does that person seem happy, but I'm not? We we have the same job. We have the same life. Why why is he happier than me? And that comparison trap is, is a dangerous game. And like you mentioned, uh, media has a lot to do with it because all of a sudden we have something to compare it to. In olden times, it was like, you compared yourself to the six other people in your town. Now yep. <laughs> you compare yourself to the six billion people on the planet. Yeah. And, you know, the smaller the town, the bigger, the more bigger you wanted to get out of it because mm. it was quickly, quick and easy to compare yourself to those six people and you wanted more. Yeah. Right. But that was all unknown. So we talked about some amazing things today. We talked about being open. We talked about self-awareness. We talked about appreciation. We talked about efforts. Mm-hmm. We talked about, you know, taking baby steps and getting started. And then how your career intertwined with your personal life. And I think this is a very, very, very big one because I believe it happens to more people than what we realize. Mm. And then at the end of the day, imposter syndrome. Before I summarize everything and go over the couple last questions I have for you, would you like to add anything? Uh, you know, I will say, well, first, you know, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this because usually I'm on the other side asking questions. So I, I always appreciate when someone has me on their podcast because I, I know the stresses and all the, the stuff that comes along with it. So thank you for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I will say, Sonia, it is we all have to strive to be better. And when I'm, you know, when you, when people say like no one changes, I'm like, yeah, it's possible that's true that nobody really changes, but I think we can become better. So if you're, you know, you have trouble with your diet or you have trouble with your relationships, think of it of like just trying to improve and tying it into baby steps is, you know, this improvement doesn't have to happen overnight. It's just baby steps of improving yourself, becoming a better version of yourself. So the whole thing, if people say, oh, you know, leopard can't change his stripes and all that stuff, you know, maybe that's true. But I think if you want to just improve yourself and become a better version of you, you can do that. You just have to be intentional about it. Be self-aware and take those baby steps. Yeah. And and keep in mind, you cannot control the stripes of a tiger if yeah. you're not the tiger, right? Yeah. You can control your own stripes and the way you respond to things. But if you're in an environment where you know that doesn't work for you, it makes you feel small. It makes you feel little. You don't use your voice. You are sick you're not happy, you're depressed. You don't have to sit there. You don't have to stay there. And we're definitely not encouraging that you stay there just and accept that. Mm. You know, at this level, we're saying, tap in with yourself. Mm-hmm. How How is this response making you work and feel? Because your body's going to tell you everything that you need to do. Mm. And lean yeah. into that. Like not every job is perfect for every person. And if we were meant to change, we would not meant to be involved. So I mm. sure hope you're not the same person as your 18 year old self. Right. God, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think of all of the things I've done, all of the lessons I've learned. And um, I was speaking to our, our 31 year old today and, and um, we had this conversation about how I totally believe synchronicity. It's all landed and worked out the way I wanted to. But do you really think when I was going through even one of my divorces with three young children with me that I thought it would have been for a reason at that time. Mm. No, it's survival at that time. It's, it's, this isn't working for one reason or another. And the story doesn't matter right now, but when you're going through it, it's hard. You're taking those baby steps and you don't even realize what you're doing until you make it through the other side. And you realize how beautiful of an experience it was because of what it taught you. Yeah. When you can be thankful for every lesson, that changes your belief in yourself, that minimizes imposter syndrome because it increases confidence and then it makes it easier to continue with those baby steps. Yeah, I love that. And also, you know, one of the misnomers that we hear a lot about today is the phrase survive and thrive. No, you, you can't do those. You have to survive 
then thrive because it's really hard to, you know, if you're floating in the middle of the ocean, (laughs) you're just looking to survive. And then once you get to the beach, then you can be your best self. So I think people sometimes put that together. Like, yeah, survive and thrive. Like, no, get through it and then do the work to make yourself better. Yeah. And getting through it is not an overnight success. It can take, it can take nine months. It can take nine years. It's not up to you. Because mm-hmm. one one thought that crosses your path that is not in alignment is going to bring you back a couple of steps. And that takes work when you are surviving, right? And so many of us are surviving right now. We've had changes. We've had evolutions. We've had highs. We've had lows. And as a community, many of us are still trying to find our footing. Mm-hmm. There's very few people that life hasn't been interrupted in the last couple of years. Of course, yeah. Right? Um, I can tell you my husband, his work state, everything stayed the same for him. Nothing's changed hmm. for me. I lost my personal training studio. I went from 23 fitness classes a week and an income of $5,000 a month plus to nothing overnight to giving back refunds hmm. to emotionally not seeing the same people I had seen three to four hours a week over the course of five years to never again. Yeah. Cause they're going through their own thing. Right. To later on that year, writing all of these books that I wrote and doing my podcast shows and doing life coaching was great because people were in that space. But now that the world's been shaken up from the after COVID, a lot of that shifted again. And now they're not spending, they're not investing. They are going to crash and burn because their root chakra, their security and their stability is so messed up. Mm-hmm. They don't trust what's in front of them. So they've stopped with the gratitude. Instead of pivoting once again, because they're capable, they're exhausted, Hmm. right? We're all exhausted, but you can't do this alone right now because some people are further along. So Tony has barely had any impact. However, his oldest son did move home and his youngest son moved to New Jersey at 16 for a football scholarship at Petty. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. So in its own, that is change, but also with no change also means no pay increase, no job difference, doing the same and same and same thing day in, day out. And those things in its own, because there was no change, has an impact. Mm. So it has touched so many people. And the biggest takeaway here that I want to say is there is no shame for where you are landing right now in spring of 2023. The first thing you need to do is what Joe's talked about earlier is become aware and this is the first thing you can do is just become aware put both feet on the ground wiggle your toes let a smile cross your face and be aware and then start showing appreciation and remember not to look down because you're not going that way be open to what crosses your path and release imposter syndrome because you're not the one walking this path at all at all so on that note joe i want to go over my four favorite questions that i like to ask with every guest you ready okay all right meals movement mindset and your relationship with money let's start with meals do you have any non-negotiables in your life when it comes to nutrition so this is going to sound really tough especially someone who's a personal trainer but uh i'm not a big fan of vegetables and salads so my entire life i've never eaten a salad in my entire existence um so i'm not a, a salad eater i'm it's well, here's a weird thing about me i'm not a cold food eater like i only like warm foods like i don't like sandwiches and cold cuts and stuff like that so i'm very bizarre so i've always had that weird relationship with food where like and it's funny my mom is like this as well like we love all our food piping hot like if if it doesn't burn the roof of our mouth and have skin dangling from it it wasn't a good meal um so that's i've always had sort of this weird relationship with food in terms of just the idea of like, I can't have like a salad. I just don't, doesn't interest me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had struggles with food because I was a fat kid growing up. I was always the chubby kid. I was always picked last in gym class. And um, I ended up playing football in high school, lost a lot of weight and sort of grew into my own body. And I just, I kind of just took it for granted that once I became a little older, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. It's easy. And then when I started working with my job in, in doing morning radio, I was like, okay, I'm not going to eat breakfast. I'm going to eat a huge lunch 
at noon and then I'm going to eat a huge lunch at dinner. And then all of a sudden I gained all the weight back that I had when I was a little kid. And then I realized, oh, it's really just all about creating a structure for yourself and a structure for yourself that works. And I had one of those, you know, self-awareness moments of like, oh, shoot, I, I have to do this. There's no one else that's going to, to show me the way. So I structure my way where, okay, and the first thing in the morning, I'll have a protein shake. And then after the show, I'll have a light lunch. And then later on, I'll have dinner. And so I think structure is a big part when it comes to food with me. And that's why I was able to maintain my weight later in life, even without being like a super, you know, calorie conscious person. Uh, I've, I've screwed around with all different foods. You know, I did CrossFit for three years. So when you do CrossFit, you're legally uh, binded to try a paleo diet. Um, and then I tried the keto diet before everyone else was doing it. And I did it for like almost a year. And then all of a sudden, keto crap is everywhere. I'm like, where was this when I was trying the keto diet? It was like you couldn't find anything keto. Now, all of a sudden, you go to Costco, they have sections of keto food. Um, so, yeah. So when it comes to food, I think a, a lot of it is structure and just knowing when you can splurge and have fun and enjoy yourself. But then knowing at the end of the day, you have a price to pay if you decide to go on a binge for three or four days. Or um, So, yeah, structure has always been very important to me when it comes to my uh, my eating. I like that. Structure or a price to pay. Yeah. Um, and the more aware we become, the more we can do something about that, right? I know yeah. when I binge on sugar, mm -mm, mm -mm. Yeah. and it just doesn't serve me. It's a short-term satisfaction on my lips and that's it. Mm -hmm. So I get the worst stomach ache and, and <laughs> you become aware and you wonder, why did I do it in the first place? Where there are other options. I'm just looking at this little snack that I grabbed and it's literally frozen um, frozen bananas. Oh, frozen bananas. Yeah. Okay. So the best snack? No. Better than other options? Yeah. Yeah. And is there better options still? Of course. Sure. But there is nothing wrong with it. So, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I liked about hearing what you have to say about meals. Um, all right. Movement. What are you doing for movement these days? So I uh, I was always once I got into a fitness routine uh did CrossFit did a lot of running I ran a couple marathons but as I got older and my routine changed from you know working morning radio to having a nine to five job I basically just and then all of a sudden I start the pandemic hit I kind of just stick to running so I'll run like a five k you know three or four days a week and that'll be my exercise I'm not a big fan of it's really hard to for me to go into a gym these days after three years of the pandemic and be like oh. Just all, you know, have sweaty benches and dirty racks and everything like that. So I may get to the gym one one of these days, but like right now it's just running. And I like to differentiate. I like to say I run. I'm not a runner because runners have a different mindset. Uh, a runner will run when it's 30 degrees outside and dark. I will not run outside unless it's at least 60 degrees and sunny. So, uh, so yeah, so I have that, uh, differentiator to, to make notes. So I don't want you to think, Hey, there's Joe, this is a runner. I'm like, Nope, not a runner. You know, even though I ran two marathons, not a runner, I'm just someone who runs. Okay. So to put things into context, I am looking at the temperature here and Joe, you like to run at 60 degrees. Well, it's 44 degrees Fahrenheit according mm, to mine. No good. So, and, and to, to speak Canadian on that, it's seven degrees Celsius right now. And that's nowhere near warm enough for Joe. Last mm -mm. week, I was running at negative six Celsius, folks. Nope. No, thank you. So just to put things into perspective here, Joe's yeah. a wimp. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, it's funny. And when I was training for those marathons, it was like I, I, I always say anybody can run a marathon. The hardest part is training for the marathon yes. and just trying to drag yourself up to do those long, you know, 15, 18 mile runs. It's like, oh, God. And then, you know, in, in the New York City marathons in November, and you're you're running in October and and the fall and it could be a little chilly and then it gets dark by like three o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, it was always a struggle to uh, find time. And if I probably was more passionate about it, I probably would have. My brother's the complete opposite. Like he's a psychopath. Like he's one of these. He's he's part of the Peloton cult. Uh, does a bike. He runs every day. He just ran the New York City Half Marathon and ran the New York City Marathon this year. So. Um, so we're a little different in that, but he's a bit more obsessive than I am. It's it's really hard for me to get like, obsessed or addicted to anything. I just don't have the personality for it. Well, that's a good place to be because I can tell you when I was teaching those fitness classes that led to bilateral Achilles tendinopathy, because mm. on top of doing that, I was running quite a bit. I spent four years in physio. 
Oh, geez. So I am back at the beginning. So the mindset of somebody who's capable having to write a program as if I've never run before to get both my lungs, because I do have asthma, and you can't just jump in overnight with such a right. cardio activity for those that are listening and you're not runners. We're mm -hmm. not saying you can't do it. You just yeah. can't jump in and all of a sudden run a five and expect not to have any kind of repercussions, right? right? And then I also have both of my ankles that I need to nurture carefully as I am running. So I signed up for a five and a 10. And in most likelihood, both of those would have been run by the time this gets aired. Oh, so right. Be, All right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to follow back. So what I'd like to say, Joe, in the meantime, when you do your post about this, you should start hashtagging every time you go for a run, hashtag run with Sonia. And we're going to okay. build a community. And I know some of my other listeners are doing this as well. And, and they're getting used to the fact that it doesn't matter if it's a 5k, a 2k, a walk, run with Sonia. And you guys are supporting me on my runs for that training when I don't want to. Because, because I am have gone from being out of commission to back into commission, it means cross training. It means yoga days. It means Pilates mm -hmm. days. It means being on the bike to condition the rest of my body. Just as important as run days. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, so not that I'm at the level of your brother, but I'm a little bit further than you in terms, like I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. And um, I understand everything that you're saying there. Like when it becomes an addiction, you can't stop. And no. I love that feeling when it comes to running and working out. Oh I yeah, love I love the energy. I love. It's a great soul. feeling. All those like endorphins oh, and serotonin that fill it. It's it's amazing. But I will say, in terms of movement, if folks who don't want to do any running or anything like that, uh, I would say just get a dog because uh, be I bought a uh, my wife and I got a dachshund uh, almost two years ago, and he's a tiny little thing, you know, wiener dog. And I remember when we got him from from the from the person who sold it to us, I said, "So you know, what's his walking habits like? What do I need?" He goes, "Oh, he's good for like a good." 10 minute walk a day. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Bullshit. This guy <laughs> will go for hour and a half walks with his tiny little legs twice a day. And so I'm getting plenty of activity just walking my dog Nathan around, even though he has the tiniest little legs. Boy, that mother will walk. So yeah, so I, I am dog. still getting some movement. Yes. So I love how you said get a dog. And that is a perfect segue to the mindset piece. Because um, dogs, mindset, mental health, pets, petting them. Oh, wow. But what other mindset? If you had to give one piece of mindset advice, something that you practice regularly that's been a game changer, that started off as baby steps for you, what would it be? Uh, I don't know if this is a mindset, but I think it's almost patience in the moment. And what I mean by that is I think we're so quick to react to something. And now with social media and the way technology works, we're, we can we can react to things so quickly. We don't digest, let things sit for a moment. We just react. And one of the things that I try to take heart with is having patience reacting to something. And some and some people call this like the email method. Like when you want to send an e a nasty email to someone, just leave it in your drafts for the day and wait till the next to see if you really want to send that email out. So if anyone is thinking about like, you know, how to, how to deal with like having awkward interactions with either family members or people you work with or just people in your life in general, think about what that trigger is and don't react to it right away. Just wait on it and just see how you feel 24 hours later. And I think this goes great for relationships with, you know, if, if your husband or wife uh, says something or does something that really upsets you, wait a day and see if it really does upset you because maybe it's like the most minute thing. And then all of a sudden, a day later, like, what, what was that all about? Like, there's some times where at work, I'll be like really annoyed about something and, I'm, and I wanna make a big fuss about it and then I'll be like, all right, I'll 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 table that till tomorrow. And then the next day I'm like, what was that? I wasn't it's not even that big a deal. Well, who cares? I have um, to interject on that because I have something here that you're gonna appreciate. So this is like my a jar, okay? Okay. And like I just keep my pencil crayons and colors and pens and that in there. But can you read this sticky note right here? Five year, five minute problem. Is it a five year problem or a five minute problem? If it's mm. a five minute problem, it won't it won't be around in five years. Mm. I love that. 
And then that yeah. tells me where to put my energy. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Is there a way that you practice being patient versus reactive? Um, I think it goes back to baby steps. I think it's just one of those things where you just have to, and I think this has to do with a lot of my self-awareness. I'm, I try to be so hyper self-aware that I think the more you become a more self-aware human being, being patient to react into something makes things a lot easier. So I think it's just a growth of just being just more self-aware of myself, my surroundings to not letting things annoy me. And, uh, and giving that time. So I think it's one of those things where like developing that sort of mindset or that skill or hack, whatever you want to use, it just really just takes time and practice. And, you know, once you do that, you'll realize, oh man, don't sweat the small stuff. Well, so true. So true. And I can, I'm going to share this because this experience happened this week to me while I was doing meditation, I was interrupted by my daughter, my youngest and she interrupted me last week and I said something and she interrupted me again today or this week and and um she said mom you are so calm you don't look like you even care and I didn't mm. <laughs> it really had nothing to do with me I was in a completely different space and for me meditation after three years has put me in this place on autopilot without even thinking of it I didn't know this was my reaction so when That's you awesome right when you practice whatever it is don't give up because it's leading somewhere and you might not see it until all of a sudden it's like okay this isn't my problem yeah yeah and that's on my to-do list i'm jealous of you because i i've read so many books about meditation i have meditation apps on my phone i it and you know i've already talked about how structure is so important to me i just have not been able to fit that into my structure i blame my dog a lot for it because First thing in the morning where people would like yeah. to meditate before they get their day going. I've got this 15 pound being like licking my face saying he needs to go outside. So I just, I have to work on that as a person to find the time to do that because I really, really want to do that. I have like the meditation beanbag chair, uh, Vishen Lakiani from Mind Valley sent it to me. I'm like, I'm going to use that one of these days. And I'm like, no, I'm just, uh, I just can't ever figure it out. But I definitely do. Like I have the Headspace app. I have the Mind Valley app on my phone. I just, I just don't Calm. know Calm when to do it. Calm, Calm app. I've tried that too, and I've, I've deleted it just because I just can't get to it. I have. I'm telling you, it's one of the things. Like I said, we all have to try to improve yes. ourselves, and that's one of the things. One of the areas I definitely want to improve upon. And and it's funny because two weeks ago, after everybody was on holidays, and I was, I was working, and I wasn't on holidays, and yet I wasn't able to do my practice, my meditation practice. I flipped. I flipped mm. right out on the Saturday and I wasn't calm and I lost my shit and nobody listened to me. And I was like, well, first of all, I told you all I was tired. I, I yeah. made it clear. I was wiped right out and I was tired. So that's on you for not picking up on that. Cause I, I communicated, but then for me to snap should be something else. Cause I don't normally snap. So I didn't have the space to set up. I said, you want to make sure nobody bothers my meditation anymore <laughs> because you don't know when you start realizing you act a certain way, or you don't act a certain way based on the way you keep yourself calm. It's a game changer. Mm. It's like yeah. going for daily W's outside. I have two of them in here, so I can't spell the word, but, <laughs> but it, yeah. it's a game changer, right? Especially through nature. Um, yeah. Okay. So where has your relationship with money changed over the years or how? Yeah. So money's always been an issue with me. I'm a son of immigrants. So the idea of money and talking about money has always been super awkward. Um, I have clients now who I work with and they'll say, Hey, how much does this cost? And how much does this renewal thing? And I'm like, I don't want to know about it. The one, I mean, I envy entrepreneurs who, you know, who are able to sell and sell a product or service and get money for it. Like I can never do that. Like I could, I have this awkward relationship with money. Whereas like, I cannot take money from people. Like I can never do. That's why I love working in radio for so long because it was like, all right, cool. I get paid to have fun on the radio and I don't have to worry about where this money is coming from. It's probably coming from advertisers or something like that, but I don't know who they are. I don't know their names. I don't know where the money's coming from. So I'm happy. Um, so I've there's, yeah. So when it comes to like acquiring money, it's always been awkward for me. I just, there's, I just can't get into it. And luckily I've had, haven't had a field to do that. Except I remember one time, my wife said to me, oh, you know, in between me 
you know, losing their job in uh, terrestrial radio to getting the podcasting up. She's like, oh, you know, you, you're a good personality. You should you probably like get a real estate license. And I'm like, no, I could never do that. I could never like it's and that's even that would be that would be the worst version of what I'm talking about. Like, oh, OK, so I'm going to get people's life savings from their pockets and for my job. No, no, I cannot do that. So that was I and I've been like this my entire life. There's always been this weird thing. Like, I just feel bad. I'm very protective about my own money. I'm frugal to a fault. Um, not that I don't like spending it, but I just see that, you know, I'm especially now it's worse with technology. It's like you constantly know how much money you have in your account or how much you've spent. So, uh, you know, I'll be like, oh, cool. My credit card bill is X amount because I bought that one thing today this month. Why did I do that? Uh, so yeah, I'm the kind of guy who will spend three weeks researching iPhone cases before finding the right one, even though it's like a $30 purchase because I don't want to regret buying something later. I'd rather waste time researching a stupid phone case than actually buying a case for like $60 and a week later be like, why did I buy that? So yeah, me and money aren't, aren't a great fit, but that's just, I think it's just because of my mindset as a kid growing up with parents that just like worked their asses off for every single penny we ever had. And, Everything we bought and owned was earned. Um, so yeah, that, that's always been my thing with money. And that is so refreshing because we don't all yet have the answers. We don't all yet have that shift and change of relationship. We all don't yet have that awareness or that awakening. Um, mm. Before I started becoming aware, I didn't clue into the fact that my parents, so I don't like confrontation for the same reason that you don't like money. It's awkward. Hmm. Awkward makes me uncomfortable. Every single confrontation I've either been in or have witnessed has been around money in some way, form, hmm. shape. Somehow you could brood it down to money. Not all of them, but the majority of them. And even my parents to this day. So having somebody show up and say, it's awkward, of course it's awkward. It should be awkward until you've reached the level that you are like, a bill came in and you realize they trusted me. They believed in me. They gave me these services for 30 days, knowing that I have the capacity to pay it. That's a huge cry from not wanting to spend a dime. Hmm. Right. But yeah. when you can, and that's being grateful, that's the gratitude. That's the appreciation. That's the gift. And so I loved how you said you have an awkward relationship with money and I think we all do a lot more than what we, well, I know we all do, or the debt ratios wouldn't be where they were, where True. they are, yeah. right? So it's awkward for different reasons. Yeah, yes. yes. Like, and, and that's the biggest takeaway here is awkward is okay. Mm -hmm. Awkward is awareness. You're just putting a label onto what you are aware of. And yeah. with that, you can make changes. I'm listening to a book right now, and I, I keep on referencing this book. You guys are going to be so sick of it, but it's called The Docity to be Queen. And it's completely different about the princess vibes in our in our head. And I'm I'm not through the book, so I can't talk about the male perspective, but I know there is a position in there where how do you expect to be treated like a queen by your king if you don't even act like a queen yourself, kind of deal. Where a princess are, I don't want to get my hands dirty. I shouldn't have to do that. I'm a princess versus mm. the I'm a queen, I'm in charge and I'll do whatever it takes kind mm. of attitude, right? But a queen knows where her resources are. A king knows where his resources are, right? Whether it's mm. their physical assets or not, they've got their finger on the pulse every day because they are in charge of their life. Mm. And when you look at it from that perspective, okay, story's changing. I am the queen. I do make decisions. They don't just happen. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting when you can change that storyline. Absolutely. And, you know, on the subject of awkwardness, I feel like, I know this has been much debated in this cancel culture, woke culture, whatever you want to call about. I think the word uncomfortable has be, has taken so much more weight. Like no one could feel uncomfortable anymore. And I think that's the wrong way to think. Mm -hmm. Like people feel like someone said this one thing, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know how to handle this. And I think being uncomfortable is actually a good thing. Like being like, again, please don't take me wrong. If it's toxic and mean and all that i'm not but i'm just talking about this the slight awkwardness and and things that make you uncomfortable in life 
those are sometimes good things because you have to dig into why that makes you uncomfortable. Or if it's someone that's doing it, speaking to that person, it, it's to have that moment of uncomfort. It's not the worst thing in the world. I think that's how we, again, become better versions of ourselves by exploring the uncomfortable. Because I didn't just go run a marathon in a day. It, I had to live through that uncomfort of, oh, crap, I got to wake up on a Sunday morning and go run. All right, I got to do. So it's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes. And I don't mean to minimize people that are offended by things that people are saying. They, I don't, I'm not minimizing anyone else's feelings. You feel how you want to feel. But I'm just saying that if you're uncomfortable once in a while, that's okay. Because we all are. We're always uncomfortable with something, whether it's with money, whether it's with food, whether it's with our family. It's okay because that's how it's sort of that. And I apologize for using the word. It's that trigger that will help us become better because this uncomfortable moment has provided us with a spark to do something about it. One way or another, right? Like yeah. Whether it's speaking your truth, saying, I cannot work for you anymore because of the way you talk to me. And you might not say that. You might just find a different job. So you're out of that environment because those triggers don't serve you or you speak your voice to your partner or or to yourself saying okay so i'm awkward with money now what mm. how can i get unawkward what would make this easier what is the first thing i need to do right um this has been awesome joe thank you so much for joining us today um do you have anything to share before we sign off yeah so i am on this sort of culture battle with the word busy lately. And um, I know this is going to sound super random, but if you ever meet someone and you ask them to do something or anything, the immediate reaction most of the time is going to be the person's going to say, I'm busy. And us as human beings now see busy as this flag to, oh my God, I can't do ask this person anything because they're busy. Or I'm busy I don't have time to do this. And so busy, I feel, has become our default setting. Like, we're all busy. and But we use that default setting as to not letting people in, not experiencing new opportunities, not trying something different, or helping someone out because we all feel we're just too, quote unquote, busy. So I've been working on myself recently where – I stop myself from using that word. I know this sounds super silly and it makes no sense to a lot of people, but just try that. Like the next time someone asks you for something, whether it's a favor or a question about something, try not to use the word busy. Try to give a reason as to why you're giving this person a negative response because I think it's just so easy. Like I think now when you say, it's like red light, green light. Whenever you someone says, busy to you, red light, I'm done, can't do anything else because that's, we have given this word so much weight and so much importance that this is person is busy, then that means, oh my God, I can't ever ask this person for anything. So if you were dealing with this where you feel like you're busy and you can't do anything else, just ask yourself, why? Why are you so busy? What What is wrong in your life that you're busy? And sometimes people just use it as an excuse and I get it. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. But why lie to people? Like, because, and, and one of the examples I use is um, a lot of my work uh, deals with having to book guests on podcasts. And a lot of time, the feedback I'll get, this person's busy. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's reverse this. Let's say I'm Joe Rogan, and I'd like you to be on my podcast for three hours to speak to my audience of 40 million people. Are you still too busy? No. So, if you come back to me and say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I don't think that's a fit for my podcast. Great. And I think just being more transparent and being more honest with people, I think it's just a better way to live as opposed to just this throwing out this blanket four-letter word that has become like gold. <laughs> it's become this statute of like, okay, busy, can't do anything else. Um, so if anything, anyone to take away from this, it's just like do it as a practice. Just like try not to use the word busy for a week and see what you can come up with to replace that word and give people context as to why you make a decision or do things or decide not to do things and try to avoid using that and see what happens. 
And I think that's fantastic because giving context is not necessarily an explanation or an excuse. You're, no. you're literally just expanding on your rationale and they're going to understand with a lot more appreciation. So I've replaced busy as much as I can subconsciously. I did write a chapter in a book about, about this um, about three years ago now, two years ago now, and it said busy, but balanced. Mm. And um, I more look at my calendar to see what the time commitment is going to cost me versus the financial commitment. Mm-hmm. Because like even today I was writing out my plan for next quarter and with my personal goals of running, that takes a lot of time, mm-hmm. right? That That is a chunk of time, a daily commitment, five, seven days a week, including rest days need to be accounted for, yep. for almost two months now moving forward, right? So that is a big chunk of my personal goals. So what else can go around there? So it's not about matter of being busy, it's other priorities or, but what can I fit in? Could I have a coffee date? Like, how can it look different? Because we always, always, always make time for what's important to us. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so funny you said that. I always, and an example I use is the the book and movie. He's just not that into you. Yes. You know, it's just like dating. Yes. If the, if, if the person's just not into you, they will not go the extra mile. But if they are into you, they will call you the, the next day. They will check in with you. They'll text you. They'll do all these things that show that you're into person. And so I feel like the busy culture has is sort of like blended into that. He's just not in into you where people just use busy as, as an excuse for not yep. doing something as opposed to just being honest. Like he's not just that into you. He could just say that yep. you can just say, Hey, listen, I don't think this is a fit. Instead people drag things on, but, and same with busy. It's like, Oh no, I'm busy. I can't do any of that. So that's my takeaway today. Sonia, if you, if anyone just, just try that, just try not to use the word busy for a week and see how that changes and just gives people an additional additional like i guess layer to who you are as opposed to just saying something and it's funny too sonia i'm sure you've read this there was like this whole trend where i didn't think there was even a book about it's like like no is a magic word learn to say no and i'm like really so we're teaching people that negative responses are good and i get the idea behind it that you can't say yes to everything but this whole idea that your first thought is a negative just is like it's just not part of my being. And I get people who are like incredibly high value, high net worth, and they have a lot of people asking them questions and asking them for their time. I get that. But, you know, learning to say no, I wouldn't say is like the best thing to be proud of. I'd be more of like, hey, I'm proud that I'm I'm more likely to say yes to something. You know what? And I don't like it when people say no to me first off, and then they learn, oh, well, maybe. Well, just say yes. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with saying yes? Just go with it. I know my husband and I are on polar opposites of that spectrum. He's the no guy almost yeah. all the time first. And uh, he's learning to adapt because I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. I've run yeah, into people like that too, Sonia, that uh, I call them no before yes people. Like yeah. they won't even think about what the question is or what this topic is. No. And then, no. like you said, they'll realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe, maybe it's not a no. But it's it's crazy how we become hardwired into knowing things before, and I'm saying no with the N-O, not K-N-O-W, but knowing things before you even give it some thought. And I, and that yeah. goes back to my busy thing. Like, just give it some thought. Give it a minute. Talk, you know, talking about patience. Like, you don't have to rush into an answer for anything. Just like, hey, let me think about that. That's all. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be hard or complicated. Mm-mm. It can just start somewhere with those baby steps we talked about. Okay, yep. guys, on that note, Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this has been a great episode. I know we're going to have all of your contact information in the show notes. And um, as well as anything we may have referenced, if we missed anything, don't hesitate to reach out to either one of us. Um, and we'd be pleased to help you on your next step of your journey. Cause it's all about enjoying the journey that you're on. Absolutely. Thank you again, Sonia. You're welcome.